listen, Maurice is going to come up and preach for us today. But before he does, we've got one more thing that we want to share with you or, or we're, we're, we need to share with you. Ascent has gone through transitions and different transitions, especially during this year of COVID. We have gone through many different transitions and staffs, st staffing. We've had to say goodbye to different staff. Well, we're going to have to say we're saying goodbye to one more staff person uh, today in the midst of COVID. And um, and so and so we're going to uh, sh share. Be Becky's going to share a little bit from a video. Well, it was six years ago that the Lord clearly called me, my husband Nathan, and at the time just our daughter August out to Colorado. We were born and raised Midwesterners, and uh, when the opportunity came to come out here, it was very clear. The Lord provided work for me, provided work for my husband, provided instant community, and it was just what our souls needed in this new adventure and chapter of our lives. So it has been quite a journey here at Ascent. One of the things that drew me straight to Ascent was I could tell that this was a church that put its money where it mattered. And while we had um, curtain walls and, and a very small production budget, I could tell that we were being incredibly generous with our neighborhood. And that was something that Nathan and I really wanted in a church community. We were quickly welcomed into a fantastic team of uh, worship folks here at Ascent, and I am so grateful for the folks that I have been able to serve with. This team is straight up gold, and I tell that to them, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. This team is gold. Uh, it has been quite a journey indeed. Um, one of the things that I didn't expect when I got here was um, at the time, our pastors liked using really big props. So my first Sunday, I remember getting a text on Saturday night from Bill saying, uh, with a picture of uh, like a huge chain linked fence all over the stage. And and he said, hey, Becky, this is going to be um, on stage for Sunday. Can your worship team work around it? <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. I texted the, the um, production team right away and I said, coffee on me. Anybody who can get here early and we're going to figure out how to do this. Um, lo and behold, this was just kind of how things were. Um, but but I learned to um, to love and work with and laugh off some of the things that had been so different from the culture I had come from in worship. Um, there was something so uh, heartening to it, and I, I love the fact that uh, our team here wants to leave concrete metaphors for a church to walk out with on Sunday and, and be thinking of throughout the week. About a year and a half ago or so, the Lord provided an opportunity for me to take what I knew and what I had learned in worship world and begin coaching other worship leaders and, and developing a network to pour into of worship teams and worship leaders. And I had the blessing of Bill, Beth, and Jim to do so, and I'm so grateful for that. So, so as I continued to be the worship pastor at Ascent, I was able to step into a place where I was also influencing more of the broader church. Well, about a year ago, when COVID hit, our family was not removed from being influenced and affected by it. And a few months ago, the Lord started pressing something really deep on my heart, that it was time for me to step out into faith, to get quiet with the Lord, to rest 
and kind of reset all the things. Nathan and I have incredible peace around this and it doesn't make any sense to leave behind those things that are steady and stable that you can count upon. But the Lord is calling our family into a season of rest and resetting all the things. We have a ton of peace around it, um, but again, it's change. And this year has been marked by change for everybody. So as I've been having conversations with worship leaders around this nation, what I'm discovering is God is doing this great shaking and stirring. It's like he's sifting out um, in every church. There is transition happening. And what I believe though is God is distilling what's going on in each community and saying this is what this expression of my church needs to be and this is what this one is going to be about and the pillar that they're going to hold and with that leaders are moving around and while that is disorienting and it can be confusing I believe that God has a greater purpose and God has already gone before all of these transitions and knows who he's putting in what places to serve the kingdom as it steps into this next chapter. I am so grateful for the way that Beth and Bill have leaned into these conversations with me. They have been prayerful. They have been full of grace and compassion as we have stepped into what does it look like for me to run the race that the Lord is calling me and my family into next. I want you to know something so clearly though. The Lord is clearly writing the Eichema household story. And while we don't know what that is, we know that God has gone before us in it. And that means God has gone before you and your families and you as a collective and knows the journey that he is taking us on. He knows what is coming. He has gone before us. And I live in that firm belief that God is going to see and sustain us through. So what does this mean for our family? Well, we're truly gonna get quiet. We feel like the Lord is stripping down certain things and inviting us to get very still with him. And then we're gonna start doing the things that he calls us to. I know something that uh, is just in me to do is uh, developing other worship leaders and vocal coaching. And I'm gonna continue to use the gifts that God has given me here and there as he calls me into that. But we really, really are gonna be obedient in this time. God is writing my story and God is writing the story of Ascent. And I am so eager to be able to watch and see what the Lord is doing in and through Ascent, that we can be a beacon, a light in our community, that we can shine the way that God wants us to shine as a church for his glory, not for our own. And I am gonna be able to have a front row seat viewing what the Lord is doing. I am so eager to be praying for ascent in what is next and who that next right leader is that the Lord has already gone before and already prepared for. It's gonna be an incredible season. So my greatest honor has been to serve as your worship pastor for six years. And I cannot wait to see what the Lord does in the future. Uh, Ah. Well, you're not losing me quite yet. I'm here for another month. So. We do. We get her for one more month. Yeah. I'm going to use huge props every time huge I convert for this last month, just so you can really remember what it was like 
here Love in it. a set. You know, one of the things that we've told our, our staff right from the very beginning, we said every one of us are replaceable. Every one of us are because we know that the Lord is, is going is going to continue to work. But this one is is one that's really hard for us to just go, oh. Are you sure that everyone's replaceable? Because we don't want to, we so not, don't want to lose Becky. But listen, one of the things that we, uh, the, part of just the, the ethos of our staff and what we've stressed really um, passionately with our staff is that their number one call, their number one call, be, even in front of, of, of pastoring a church, the number one call is to their, to their marriage, to their kids, to their family. That's, that is absolutely number one. And, and so when Becky came to us and, and is saying, I just, I, I really feel like the Lord is laying on, laying on my heart a season of just stepping back and just making that, just diving deeply into uh, her relationship with Nathan and her relationship with her kids, with, with August and with Zeke. She, she's, she, has, she said, I got to do that. And, and how can we argue with that? That is exactly what I want for every one of our staff. To go, man, value that relationship more than anything else that you do. Will you tell us a little bit more about um, about what this next stage is going to look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So again, um, I'm here for another month, and I look forward to um, facilitating worship for us uh, together. Yeah, we're going to get quiet as a family. Like I said, um, our family was not removed from uh, transitions and some job loss during COVID. And while uh, monetarily we suffered, uh, relationally we increased. And then a few months ago, the Lord started saying, hey, hey, honey, it's time for you too. So I want you to legit step out in faith, hold everything before me and go. So so we, we have no plans to move. We plan on staying in Denver uh, unless the Lord calls us somewhere, but we're really going to get quiet and spend a lot of more time as a family, and, and I'll be leaning into some coaching here and there, and yeah. Uh, I just think of so many songs that you've led us in over the years that that tell us to step out in faith, and, and you know, the oceans and other songs that you sing that you just go, are you ready to step out? And, and you, that's what you're doing right now, and, and um, I so admire that in you. I'll just, I'll always remember one of the first uh, days that you were here, probably like day two or three. You're sitting up here by yourself in this room, and Becky was, was just kind of, um, uh, is it noodling? Is that what you call it Very on a guitar? Good. Noodling. Yes, See, noodling. She's taught us, she's yeah. taught me so much about music. Um, she was noodling on the guitar, and, and, I, and I walked in, I just sat and listened to her from the back, and then I walked up to the front, and I just said, Becky, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> you know, she had just come from a really big church in Chicago and one that had all the resources. And I just thought, what are you doing here? We have curtain walls. And we were like in year one and a half of our, of our church. And, and, and what is Becky Eichema doing here? And I said, are you sure? I keep thinking you're going to turn around and go back to Chicago. And, and you said, you said, I just want to have my guitar in front of me, and I just want to get back to the roots of worship to escort people to the foot of Jesus. And you have done that so beautifully and masterfully over the last six years plus here. We have been so gifted by your gifts. And, um, you know, I know we kept telling you at Christmas to sing a solo because we just love your voice, but it's been so much more than just your voice, which has been so beautiful in this. You guys, you need to know that, that worship teams, there's a lot of turnover on worship teams 
but on ours, there hasn't been very much turnover. And, and I think it's because Becky set a culture there on the team, a culture that they love and respect each other, a culture she said right off the bat, she said, we deserve to give our very best to a God that it, that's giving us his very best, and so we deserve to, to give that to him back. We have to give that to him back. And she shared that with her team, and we've been blessed because you took on the mantle of pastoring and leading and, and, and you pastored us, and you led us, and you pastored this unbelievable team that you've put together, and you've led them. And so we are so thankful for the work that you've done. I mean, she's, Becky's family, and she always will be family. And, um, and so this, is, uh, this tears at the heartstrings to think that Becky wouldn't be leading us in, in worship. But we love, love where you're headed next and just getting to just be there. I just think of you and Nathan and getting the time that you guys get to spend with each other. I love that. So can I pray for you? Yeah, yeah, please. Father, we are so thankful for this woman and all that she has given. There is going to be a chapter that you've been writing this book that has been around Ascent Church, and there's a chapter that's going to have Becky Eichema, uh at the front of it. You, you helped each one of us. I, and I know that in her position, Lord, it's sometimes hard to, to, to know exactly what she's done in my walk. But she has helped my walk in walking closer to you. She has helped each person in this room to take steps closer to you because she's been obedient to the call to do this. She has recognized gifts that she has and that she shared those gifts with us. She recognized the gifts of so many other people in, in playing instruments and in, in using their voice and putting it all together. She recognized those as well and we've been blessed because of that. God, we are so thankful for the leader that you gave us in Becky, for the friend that you've given us in Becky, and, and for the pastor that has walked alongside every one of us and helped us walk closer to you. We are so thankful that she has pastored us as well as she has. Bless this next stage for her. Bless those conversations she'll have with Nathan, and may their marriage just grow richer and richer in this season. God, may she, may she embrace being that mom to August, being that mom to Zeke. Soak in those days, too, that she gets to spend, spend that time with them. And God, I pray that you would continue to use her to bless your kingdom in any way. Use this woman to bless your kingdom. She has so many gifts to give. So we're thankful for that, Lord, and we're thankful that you still have your hand on Ascent Church in the heart of it. And that while this kind of transition is hard and pulls at our heartstrings, it's also one that we know and are very confident that you are in control. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Um, all right, listen, uh, so good to see you all. My name is Maurice. Um, I have thought about this exact moment um, for some time now, um, knowing uh, Becky's news is going to be uh, talked about today. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Maurice. Hey, online. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, but I also get an awesome opportunity of working with young adult and college students. Um, but like I said, this week has been interesting because I knew Becky's uh, information and all the things that she was going to be letting you all know. And then I had to think about that. And I think about, oh, man, and then I have to speak after that. And no one's going to be paying attention to me. Everybody's going to be thinking about, you know, Becky's, you know, transition and what that looks like. Um, and so all these things have been coming up. And then uh, this, this Monday took place. And nobody anticipated quite the tragedy that that was going to impact our community and the things that was going, we were going to face um, together carrying that heaviness. And this week has been one where we have gone to many vigils. I've been sitting with many people. Um, had an opportunity to be outside of that uh, King Super, um, just being able to pray uh, with many flowers that are on the fence and all of those different things. And then, if you're in church world at all, you know that this week is Palm Sunday, which in Scripture lets us know that it's a celebratory moment of Jesus's uh, entry and his uh, journey to the cross. And I just think that it's helpful to name for a moment that each one of those things brings up very different emotions. We have Becky's transition. We have the tragedy of Monday. We have the triumphal entry of Jesus, which is supposed to be a celebration, let alone not even factoring in some of the things that you all are facing at home, some of the things that you may be going through, whether it's with kids, whether it's with school of graduation, maybe dropping out, whatever that may be. All of these things, we enter into this space as a community, and we're holding all those things right now. And I thought to myself, how can all of these things all at the same time be going all at once? What are we supposed to do with all of these things? And then I begin to think to myself, maybe it's not something that we do. Because for us, maybe you're like me, many times we're looking for a solution. We're looking for some sort of answer so that we can get to the end, so we can rush past whatever that we're feeling right now so we can get to a certain moment that we want, a preferred reality. And we are sitting there, what do we do? And sometimes, as I was prepping this week and prepping for this sermon, I sat back and I began to think to myself, sometimes things just don't add up. It's not always X plus Y equals Z. If you live long enough, you'll recognize that sometimes it's B plus 4 plus 5, like fractions, integers, like I failed math, so I don't even know what I'm saying right now, but I know that it's like a discombobulation of everything all together, right? Like it's not even like the, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, like it's all over the place. Like I don't even know what that's referencing. If you're a math major, you probably know what I'm talking about. But in life, some things are just all at once taking place. Our soul is being pulled in so many different directions, celebratory, anger, frustration, and what do we do with all of these things? What do we do with all of that? Well, like I said, maybe it's not something that we do. Today, it's not going to be something that's full of answers because not everything is full of answers. Life is not always full of answers. But my hope is that we find ourselves guided into a place where we can sit with God. We can be in the presence of Jesus and we can see the value of that. I think all of this range of emotions and this roller coaster that I've been talking about and that Bill mentioned a little bit earlier, I think in my opinion, you can push back if you'd like, but it can be summed up in one word. And I think one word embodies all of these things. And that word is hope. And today I want to talk about hope. I actually, if I were to give this 
a sermon, a subject title, and a framework. It would be the truth about hope. If you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write down the truth about hope. If you're not taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down, the truth about hope. As we lean into this, I, I want to lean into what this means because I think there's something that's a little bit wrong with how we even frame hope. Why is it that we only couple hope with words like love, peace, joy? My wife is a fan of Hobby Lobby, probably like many of you that are in this room as well. She goes to Hobby Lobby, and it's all this awesome calligraphy, and she's always bringing something home to put over the stove or to put on the refrigerator or to put here, to put there. And it's beautiful font, and it's written all in cursive. And, of course, something in there is hope, happiness, joy. All of these things that even give us a little bit of a tingly feeling and excitement, a smile on our faces. But I don't think that gives us the full scope of what hope actually embodies. I think there's a truth about hope that actually shows us that it's not always coupled with just words like love, peace, hope, and joy. I think what we can recognize is that hope is actually something that can hold space for more than just that. I find this in the foundational scripture that I'm going to be talking about today, and we're we're going to be building a lot of our uh, time together. It's going to be uh, in Psalm 30, verse 5. It says these words right here. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The psalmist takes a moment to actually gives us a little bit of a dichotomy between the two, weeping and joy. And he shows us in this moment as he's writing that there will be weeping and that there will be joy. And what I want to build upon this moment is that what I can extract from this when it comes to the topic of hope is that hope is not just something that is coupled with love, hope, peace, joy, and all those things. But if we walk this walk truly and we hold on to the hope of Christ, we'll recognize that we'll face seasons that weeping may. Hope and hardship, hope and frustration, hope and anger, hope in the midst of tears. But we don't always talk about hope that way. We don't always frame hope in a way that's something that we can hold space of recognizing. It can actually be in the same space as hope and grief. Because how does that work? What does that look like? How does my life hope? How's my life hopeful and also angry? Our faith is big enough to hold space for us to be hopeful and frustrated. And this week, I gain all of those things, not just from the weeping may endure, but I look at the life of Jesus. Before we even get to the life of Jesus, I think it's important for us to know, when it comes to weeping may, it helps us know one major truth. If you don't catch anything else on today, it's going to be this simple truth. Hope does not deny our reality. Hope does not deny our reality. Hope is not something that's there and it's, we put it in that place so that we can now dismiss all the things that we're going through. See, I brought up the scripture, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning because uh, if many, many of you may know my story. Uh, I grew up in Los, Angeles, in Los Angeles area and I come out of a predominantly black denomination, Church of God in Christ. Shout out to you, Church of God in Christ. If you're listening, whoever that is, um, but it's an amazing e- expression of faith that I grew up in 
And the way that we relate to God, a lot of things, if you have any experience or you go to any church at a point in time where you find yourself in that expression of faith, you'll see that it's expressed very in, in music and in, um, in, in worship and all of the things, in dance. And this is like happening during the service. You can even see it in some of my mannerisms. As you can see, I preach with my hands. Like, that's what we're taught where I come from. Like, everything a part of you teaches and preaches. And so we come from this place where it's very expressive. And back home in this church setting that I come from, it doesn't matter if you're the pastor, it doesn't matter if you're the person that's given the announcements, there is a certain cue for the congregation to know we are this is an invitation for us to enter into a space where we are excited and we are joyful and we are celebratory. And that cue is simply weeping may. You don't even have to get through the whole scripture. The church will know that this is a cue for us to be excited and celebratory that we are conquerors. We are victors in spite of. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up for a particular reason. I don't bring that up because I'm going to try to make you dance, right? I'm not going to try to make you dance or anything. If I were to make you dance, it'll be clapping on the two and the four, not the one and the three. But you'll catch that next week. You'll laugh. Okay, no worries. Um, but I say that because, not so that we could dance or get a moment of happy clapping, but I, I bring that up. Because in many times in our walk, I believe we rush past the weeping may. That we want to get to this place of what does joy look like? What does the morning time look like? And I think it's helpful for us to sit in the context that weeping may. It doesn't even matter which week that you land on. You'll recognize, you'll come to a crossroad in your life that weeping may happen. You'll have a season that weeping may. And I, I love this idea that the psalmist is alluding to in this because we don't need to rush past that moment. We can sit in hope lets us sit in the weeping may. Before we get to the Sunday morning, before we get to the excited part, let us just sit for a moment to recognize that weeping takes place. But weeping is a refreshing of the soul. It's not something that we can just rush past. And when we get too vulnerable, sometimes we want to get to the place that doesn't have us vulnerable. But what if I were to tell you that the walk in the life of Jesus actually encourages us to sit in moments of weeping may? Hope lets us know that it doesn't deny our reality. Like I said earlier, it's not something that dismisses the things that we're facing. Hope is actually hope because of the things that we're facing. We see this in the life of Jesus as he's making his way to the cross. We can be excited in all these different things because Christmas takes place and we're excited about the birth of Jesus. But isn't it true that when Jesus came on the scene as a baby, that the world in that moment before he enters was hopeless, dark, dismal. They were longing for someone to rescue, longing for someone to bring some sort of justice, some sort of kingdom that was not like the one that they were seeing in their modern day. And hope entered the world. But it doesn't just happen at Christmas. As we celebrate Easter, we see at the cross that when Jesus makes his way to the cross, it's a day on Friday that brings about weeping. And on this Friday, we'll sit in that. That's what Good Friday is for. It's actually not some moment where we get excited and we can get on and jump and we can play exciting music and we can dance and sing and all those things. It's actually sitting in the moment of heaviness, recognizing the day our Creator died. Our Savior 
died, that moment where it felt like all hope was gone. Have you been there before? Where it felt like you hit rock bottom, where it felt like there was no more answers, no more solutions, like the very thing that you thought was going to come and rescue Mary, Joseph, all of them are sitting in this moment recognizing the one that we thought was going to save us all is dead. They didn't know that Sunday was coming. So they had to sit in that. And as Jesus followers, we see the importance of being able to sit in the moments of weeping may, sit in the moments of recognizing hope is not hope without the precious moments of recognizing there's moments where it's going to be dark seasons. Hope is so awesome. Hope is so hopeful because it sometimes comes in in the moments of dark times. It comes in at the moments where we need some sort of rescuing, some sort of relief, some sort of lifting. Hope is so hopeful. Hope is what it is because of our weeping seasons. And we're so in need of this hope. But I think it's so awesome that we got to recognize how we frame it. Because we can sit in a moment of hopefulness, like on a Friday where Jesus dies, but also recognizing that it's hope and it's anger. I could just imagine being Jesus' mother at that time, her baby boy who she birthed into this world so proud of. He's changing all the things that's going on. He's bringing liberation to people that are oppressed, all of these different things. And in that moment, he's gone. And the disciples don't know what to do because they heard all of his teachings, but in this moment, he's gone. They wanted him to stay, and he kept telling them, I have to leave, but that moment, he's gone. But hope was never gone. Hope didn't die. Hope was something that Jesus lets us hang on to because there will be a Sunday morning. And I'm not here to come and give you some prosperity teaching. I'm not here to tell you all about the, the glitz and the glamour and some pie in the sky. But what I will tell you is that you can bet your bottom dollar that if you continue to put your hope in Jesus, there is a joy. There is a morning time. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I don't know when your morning is, but you do have a morning. And I'm not here to tell you to rush past the weeping. Sit in that. But as you sit in the place of weeping, recognize that there is hope in a place of weeping. Weeping and hope, tears in the midst of hope. That is what true hope looks like, and you can hold on to that. That's exactly what hope is, isn't it? Unexpected end, a, 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 I want a different reality, and I believe something inside of me is holding on to that. There is something better on the other side. As a people, as a community who's following this life and this guy named Jesus, I want to be a reminder and encouragement to all of you that we have hope. And I know that it doesn't always feel like that, but I got to let you know hope isn't a feeling. I know that it doesn't always look like that. Well, i got to let you know that hope is not some look. It's not some aesthetic. It doesn't always seem like that. It doesn't always sound like that. I understand that it's not appealing to your senses, but hope is beyond your senses. Hope is a place in our spirit. Hope is something in our spiritual formation that we can see, that we can hold on to. Hope, if we're really getting to the, to the bottom of it, is a person. And we as a community, a faith community of Christians, believe that person is Jesus. 
And I want to bring up a few things for my time that I have with you. That I think there's some things in life why we stop hoping, and I want to bring up one thing why we should keep hoping. One thing of why we stop hoping and one thing why we should keep hoping. I want to read this scripture for you. It's found in Isaiah chapter 40. It says these words right here. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who hope in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Another scripture I would encourage you to write down. As we see this person, Isaiah, writing this passage, and as they're beginning to write this prophet, beginning to write these words, we can look at this. What he's talking about is a life of weariness, of beginning tired, of a place of, of growing faint. And that is the ebbs and flow of life, isn't it? That we grow weary, that we grow tired, and we're sick and tired, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you don't know if you have enough in you to keep hoping. I think one of the reasons that we stop hoping, and it, it's such a risk to hope again, is because we're tired. Isn't that what 2020 showed us? And 2020 didn't even have to come. Many of us, just on a regular basis of life, see that hoping again, and yet another wrong, another injustice, another thing that we're facing. Tired, growing tired. I've talked to a few people this week as I sat with them to pray. And a person expressed to me, Maurice, I'm hurting inside because of all of this. But I got to be honest, I'm so tired, I'm so jaded that tears can't even fall from my face. Maybe that's you. Where it seems as if you feel a little weird because you don't even have enough tears to weep like the scripture says. Because you've been jaded. To hope again feels like more like an exhaustion than it is like something that you want to hold on to. Because you've been down that road before. I come across this meme on social media, and pretty much what it talks about is pretty much how in life we keep score. And one of the things that it was talking about on social media was in life where they, one of the memes is it's you and a category of something else. And pretty much you're keeping score of who's winning and who's not and who's getting the best of who. For an example, one of them had uh, parents for kids 10, right? So just giving a, a picture of they're getting the best of us. If we're keeping score here, they're winning. Another one was talking about, uh, it was a kid's one, and then it was another one that was talking about, I think it was uh, uh, sports or something. Oh, oh, it was talking about COVID. It was talking about COVID-19, score 20, me four, right? Alluding to, this is getting the best of me. And I think if we're honest, when it comes to the spiritual walk of things, that to hope again, life is probably score 40. To hope again, you give it your number, 13, 10, 
To hope again means that I'm actually getting beat. Like life has actually caused me to be more jaded than it has been excited. And if we peel back another layer, some of you in this room, you've placed your hope in God. And unanswered prayer after unanswered prayer. Family member loss after family member loss. Divorce, addiction, struggles with life, didn't graduate. You name it. You go ahead and put whatever it is that you want to put there. Life has taken a toll. And to place your hope in God, you've seen enough things take place where it causes too much to actually try to do that. And to stay where we are is actually a little bit more comfortable. It's actually more of a defense mechanism, if we're honest. Because to hope again means i got to take a risk. The risk of being let down, the risk of my emotions, the risk of being vulnerable. But it's actually in that place where Jesus, where we begin to see transformation. I'm not talking about some overnight thing that's just going to be just this awesome overnight TED Talk sort of get rich quick. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking about that right now. What I'm talking about is in those moments of being emotional, those moments of being vulnerable, those moments where you feel like things are at risk, where you're a little bit more risk-taking, it's actually outside of the comfort zone that you experience the God of hope. You experience that true hope. And in this next moment, I actually just want to take a moment to speak to the Christians in the room, those who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Because I think people are not only tired in this moment of when it comes to hoping and hoping again, but I think people don't hope because of some of the things that we do. I'm going to just go ahead and be honest. You're going to hate me for the next few moments. But some of the things that we say, especially in moments of tragedy, is more detrimental and, in my opinion, stupid that people don't hope again. People actually distance themselves. You know how it goes. Let go and let God. Oh, it's going to be just fine. Let go and let God. I, I can guarantee you, I don't know all the words to say, but I'm going to tell you right now, just let go and let God. Another cliche slogan, God is in control. Don't you worry, God is in control. I know you're hurting, God's in control. But Maurice, isn't that true? Isn't these things, listen, right truth, wrong time, never helpful. Right truth, wrong time, never helpful. God was in control when the Holocaust was taking place. Is it the time to go let somebody know God's in control? He's got this. Some moments we rush past weeping May and we put Christian talk on things because we try to push away these conversations and we don't even want to just sit in the vulnerability and the hard place with people. And so we try to tie it in a bow that everything's going to be okay. That we'll just tie it in a bow and just stay hopeful. I'm not saying that you don't ever bring these things up. I'm not saying that you don't search for scripture or things that bring relief. And I'm, what I'm saying is that we try to mask things and you think people don't know. And you think people are shaking their head because they agree with you. They want you to just get out their face. You think that people don't understand, you're dismissing my reality right now, and if that's what you're about, I don't want to talk with you. So whatever it takes to get you to move on, I'll do that. Because we frame hope as in something that's always coupled with love, peace, and joy. 
not recognizing we can be hopeful and sit in the weeping may of people's seasons in their life and say nothing. Sit with them recognizing hope and frustration can be in the same place. This is why I believe sometimes people don't hope again. Those are two reasons. I want to give you one reason to keep hoping. It's not going to be something that feels like a solid answer. Like I said, today it's not going to be full of answers and solutions. But I think what we can find solace in, and my prayer for you is going to be found in this scripture, Romans 15, verse 13. It says these words, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As the band makes their way to the stage, listen, this is what I want to rest in for a second. That you may experience, this is my simple prayer for every single one of us, and me included. If you don't know, I first preached to Maurice and then to you. That we may experience the God of hope. This is Paul writing here, and he, as we've been in these few weeks, been talking about Paul and all of the things that he's been facing, we continue to see him in this moment as the culmination of his letter. He writes, may the God of hope, the source of hope, is found in God. The source of hope is God himself. And what I love is that he says, may you overflow with hope how does that happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Maurice, what does that look like? Once again, today's not full of answers. What I can tell you is that as you sit in this place in the presence of God, as you sit at the feet of Jesus, as you encounter this week, knowing that you're holding all of the weight, all of the things, and you sit on a good Friday, hold those things on Friday. Hold those things recognizing this is the finished work of Jesus. This is what it looks like as it feels like our Savior has died. This is why he has come. So the things that I'm holding, I don't have to try to figure out all the time. That I don't have to try to tie in a bow because my rest, my peace, the grace of Jesus that I can sit in brings me hope. The scripture says that that doesn't happen outside of the Holy Spirit. May God's presence be something, the very thing that is supernatural. How do I experience the overflow of hope supernaturally? I'm not saying that to just dismiss anything that you're thinking about or trying to, trying to figure out, but I'm saying if we kind of get out of our head for a moment, let me just encourage you that at some point when we come to the end of ourself, when we come to the end of all of the things that we have tried, all of the things that we thought was going to work, all of the plan A and the plan B and the plan C, when we get to the end of ourself, the supernatural takes place. The faith world begins, the supernatural, the spiritual working of God, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we begin to experience and hope begins to overflow. One way you know that hope is overflowing is that you're not just a person who's looking for hope. You're not just a person who has hope. You're a person who becomes hope. 
It's in your being. You be hope. It's not just something that you keep chasing after or trying to attain or you have yourself. It's something that you now become. And the place of comfort, the place of safety, the place of solace that people are looking for in this world is actually found when they're in your presence because you've been in his presence. And you're the hope. You recognize that you are the hope of this world. You are God's plan for this world. You are God's hope that this world will see him. You. So you know you're overflowing with hope when you actually stop searching for it and you actually become it. This is why as a church and a community, when things like Monday takes place, our question becomes, how do we become hope? How do we be hope in this moment? Because that's exactly what Jesus was. And if anybody's going to experience hope in this world, it's going to happen by a collective of people who are following after Jesus. This is why, for those of you who are young adults and college students in the room, afterwards, right in the tire center, we have a space set aside just for you because we understand that sometimes it's going to be a space that's needed to pray and to process. And so anybody that's a college student, a young adult, we decided we got together as a team and we said, let's go ahead and set aside some of that space. But not only that, maybe shopping right now is a triggering thing for you, maybe something that's uncomfortable. And rightfully so. So we got together and said, how do we be hope in this moment? So we went shopping. We gathered some essential things. And we know that there's going to be some things that you're maybe wanting, but you probably traumatic things come up as you think about entering into a store. So we thought to ourselves, how about you go shopping with us? And all the items are for free, so it's not necessarily shopping, but it's for free. It's our gift from us to you. If you need some of those essential items, if you need something that you want to pick up or gather for your dorm room or for your friend, whatever that may be, how about that happens with us? What if that was a mentality that we carried as believers, that we don't just keep looking for hope, but we become hope. We are hope. We be the hope. Because there is no other plan outside of us that Jesus has placed his spirit in us so that we, the world, can experience him through our walk. So once again, today, my prayer is very simple. And I'm going to read this passage, and then we're going to worship. If we could bring up Romans 15 one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is this. May you experience the God of hope. And in doing so, you overflow with hope to your neighbors and those that are around you.